Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, a, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field, and I've got with us an amazing guest today, Dr. Jessica Davis. This is a really neat opportunity that we have to talk to her about because it's something that we have not even touched upon yet in, in the 300 plus episodes that we've just uh, uh, surpass. So uh, Jessica, if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and, and your educational journey and where how it's led you to where you're at today. Sure, sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on. I'm very excited. So I started, I graduated from Duquesne University uh, back in 1999, not to date myself, but I'm a little old. <laughs> Followed that I did uh, back in the day, you know, you just got a master's degree. So I went to Chatham, got my transitional doctorate. Then I did, you know, my OCS, uh, studied out West in California, worked out there for a little while. And then I came back to Pittsburgh and had the great fortune of uh, doing evidence in motion. Uh, so I did my fellowship with them, which really of all things in my career, I think that was the, that was the key because that, that definitely changed me. And really from that point, you know, all along in my career, I would be asked to do little, uh, you know, teaching here and there I'd be a TA, uh, and I liked it, but I never thought about myself as getting involved in, in higher education. I really didn't. It wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something I wanted to do. And then I started TAing after I finished up my fellowship because I had opened up my own practice. So again, view myself as a primary clinician. And my I have a cash practice in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I specialize in performing arts medicine and still orthopedics, of course. And so during that time, because I, let's face it, I, I started a business and I needed a little extra cash. <laughs> so I did some TAing on the side and the professor I was working with told me about this job opportunity at my alma mater, Duquesne University. And he said, hey, you know, we're looking for someone to teach orthopedics and spine, which is, of course, one of my passions. And, you know, I thought a lot about it and I thought, well, I guess I'll, I'll try. I never thought I would get hired, to be honest. Uh, again, just didn't think of myself as a professor. Um, shockingly, I got the offer and then I had to do some soul searching because, you know, that debate, am I a clinician, am I a professor, you know? Uh, and so I, I thought, let's just try it out. Maybe there's a sign, maybe there's a reason that I'm like being led in this way. So I'm very thankful because Duquesne University gives me the opportunity to still practice as a clinician. They actually encourage it, which I love because of course I can bring my patient cases into my students and I feel like it keeps me current. So I have the ultimate blessing of being able to do both. So that's how I ended up at Duquesne. And my other role at Duquesne University is I'm the assistant director of clinical education. And so that has been how this led to what we're gonna talk about today. Yeah, so uh, a lot of similarities there with with my career, right? I was a master's student as well at ECU. Uh, okay. Then I ended up doing my transitional doctorate at University of St. Augustine. And while I was there, the head of the EDD program came to me and said, hey, are you interested in teaching ever? And I said, no, not definitely not. <laughs> that, my dad was an English teacher for 30 years. I sat in on his classes. There's no way I'm dealing with those kids. 
And uh, he was like, well, it's a little different with adult learning, you know, with graduate school, they want to be there, they're paying to be there, you know. And I said, well, you know, if, if ever my hands give out or my back gives out or my knees go out, whatever, I can fall back on teaching when I retire. You know, that's that's what I'll do. So I I started the EDD. I ended up, you know, finishing that. And then I went right back into clinical. I was like, all right, I'm done with academia. That dissertation was terrible. I never want to do it again. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. And so I'm just going to be clinical for a while. I need to decompress from academia. And then about two years later, COVID hit. And I was like, huh, well, uh, this isn't ideal for healthcare. And, uh, you know, so I kind of, my wife's a type one diabetic. She's already kind of immunocompromised. The skilled nursing facility I was working at and the home health situation wanted to send me specifically into COVID units. And I was like, I don't know if I can risk that. So I, I kind of, you know, stepped back from, uh, from the, the world of uh, clinical work for a while. And that same week, the head of the program at St. Augustine emailed me and said, hey, are you still interested in teaching? And I was like, well, I wasn't but uh, I might be this week. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, it was kind of a God thing, you know, it just kind of led me down the right time, right place and started teaching. And, I, you know, I've fallen more and more in love with it ever since. And so I'm really excited about that. But the thing we're kind of going to talk about today is a really interesting opportunity. And that is international study. Yeah. Now, now you know, clinical education is such a, a tough tough battle, especially over the last two, three years with COVID stuff, right? Finding positions for students. Uh, you know, we're just now kind of coming to a point where hospital systems are allowing them back in and, mm -hmm. you know, out outpatients hit or miss. We could find a couple outpatients here and there that were willing to take them. But those, those level one acute care type settings and ICU type settings and all that, it was super hard to find placements for students. So, so you know, that, that's tough enough, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you guys at Duquesne really have an interesting opportunity for international study. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, COVID really was our inspiration, you know, because we ran into the same problems you did. All of a sudden we had, you know, it's a combination, less sites, uh, especially like you mentioned in acute care, pediatrics, those kind of settings. So our students weren't getting, you know, especially for the students who said, you know, my passion is acute care. That's what I want to do when I graduate. And come on, you're not going to give me a site that is in the area that I want to specialize in. And you feel terribly, you know, even though it's out of your control. And then of course, you know, the other side of that is you have more and more competition, right? Because we have less sites, they're understaffed. So there's less CIs out there now. And then we have more schools, right? So it's kind of been this. So I collaborated um, with the head of our department. We just started brainstorming. We thought, what can we do for these students? So the first thing that we thought about kind of that led to this was we said, is there anything that we can do in-house where we can get some outside clinicians and do some sort of specialization opportunity, right? So maybe they can't take a student and commit to 12 weeks of a rotation or, or 15 weeks of a rotation, but could we get them for a short period, maybe four weeks where we could... Um, have them, let's say they wanted to do wound care, right? That's an unusual rotation, right? But if a student's really passionate about that, how could we make that happen? So when we started thinking about that, and that's still something we're working on, we, you know, we started talking, well, hey, we have these, you know, Duquesne University has a campus in Rome. <laughs> we already have an integrated, our nursing students go over there every year and they do a Maymester. And so, we thought, well, could we combine and, and do a integrated clinical education opportunity? So we started speaking with CAPTI and 
we weren't sure how they were going to look at this, right? <laughs> because, you know, we're taking our students over to a foreign country, you know, would they be accepting of that? Would that count? Um, and shockingly, they were very excited about it. You know, they said there were different parameters. Of course, one of the things is that you have to have a U.S. licensed uh, you know, clinician with your students at all times. There had to be, you know, some involvement with patients, some evidence that you're getting them into the clinical scenario. But fortunately for us, we had already an established system, so we weren't reinventing the wheel. So we tied up our physical therapy. I So I went over there and I taught an advanced manual therapy course, which this particular class of students that I took over were so appreciative because this was the class where they were in the middle of COVID and we were in class and we were all masked and we had to divide our class in half. They couldn't practice with other partners. You know, they really missed that typical lab scenario. So they were so thankful. And, you know, in Italy, you still have to wear masks or at the time we were there. So I said, let's go outside. So because the weather's nice, I put all the tables outside, we unmasked and we were able to rotate. And, and so it was fabulous. And we worked with two other professors who had also already started working with our nursing students. And so the students had the opportunity to learn ancient history uh, in Rome and its application to medicine. And then we had another course where they took visual cultures of care, where they would study the art and they would study, for example, the statue of David in Florence and look at how Michelangelo was able to recreate anatomy perfectly. So they did like a actual writing assignment, you know, down to the point where, you know, he knew when you turn your head it stresses the, you know, the, the vertebral artery on the opposite side. So you could see that anatomically. And then we were able to learn about how he did his dissection. So it was, so anyway, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. I mean, we, we yeah. want to learn about this. We want to talk about this because again, this isn't something that's common. This isn't something that, uh, you know, a lot of schools are doing. Uh, could it be a best practice? Could it be something we should look into? Maybe. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of what we want to dive into here. What do you think some of the pros were for doing that and for setting that up and going over there and having that experience? So many, many, many pros. So one of the things that surprised me that I didn't anticipate was watching these students because I teach them in their fifth year. So Duquesne is a straight through program. You know, you, you get in as a, as a entering freshman and you graduate with your doctorate. I teach them in their fifth year. And so it was fortunate for me to have them at the point where they've already finished all their education. So I was able to really do advanced manual therapy and clinical reasoning. But what I didn't expect was to see how being in a foreign country, getting out of your comfort zone, uh, matured our students in a way that I don't think you could duplicate in the States. You know, having to get a bus in a foreign country, right? And figure out the transportation system. Work with patients because we took some of, we were, so because we're a Catholic university, we stayed uh, with the sisters. So the sisters were very gracious and they speak Polish. And so we were able to bring the sisters in and evaluate them because they had ailments. So that was a wonderful practice to, to practice working with someone who doesn't speak your language because we didn't have anyone to trans, you know, to, to transcribe for us. So we just, 
worked with it. Right. And so that was, that was a really unique experience. Um, understanding how healthcare is different in a different country and, you know, you could read about it, but when you're actually there, when you're able to go to a public hospital in Italy, compare it to a private hospital, talk to a private practitioner, uh, learn the ins and outs of how it works in a foreign country, you start to appreciate what we have in the United States, but you also start to analyze critically maybe where we could improve, right? So those were things that the students started to explore. And the other thing is we were able to, another big portion of what our students learned, we took them down to the Southern part of Italy, which is a blue zone, which is one of the few places in the world where people exceed a hundred. And we went to the Museum of the Mediterranean Diet. We had a meal prepared by the chef who the chef's son, who was studied for 40 years, you know, um, and we were able to, to analyze the diet. And also what's different about, what is it ultimately over there that, why are they living longer, right? Lower stress. They have a sort of, they work on, you know, it's just a different mentality, very different than the States. Um, and so our students were able to take that back and now really adequately, you know, embrace those kind of things that they learned into clinical education. Yeah, I, I mean, we talk about blue zones a lot in, in some of the courses I teach, uh, the geriatrics course. Um, you know, uh, we, we talk a little bit about uh, blue zones and PTP1 and some of the intro courses, but I don't think students really grasp the, uh, the differences in, in, the, in the United States <laughs> and, and blue zones, you know, because it's, it's, it really is a, a lifestyle. And so immersing yourself in that has got to be just, you know, a fabulous experience. Um, but what, what do you think were some of the, the tough spots or the barriers uh, of doing something like this, like an international clinical program? So, you know, one of the barriers we faced, you know, when we were planning this remotely, you know, was first of all, it's going to take time to build because we need to get connections with clinicians. And when we did get to Italy, fortunately, there was a, a FANT or IONT clinician who was able to come and teach with me for a few classes, which was wonderful for our students. But I think it's, it's getting enough clinical partners, you know, that we can work with because ultimately where I see this going is getting our students actually working with patients. And and we did deal with a barrier in, with COVID because in Italy, they were obviously understandably hit very hard. And also for our students to be there and to really grasp how the living situation is so different in Italy, really understand how that country was affected by COVID. I mean, just they're still, you know, obviously affected by that. So the hospitals that we visited were very conservative with what we they would allow our students to do because of COVID. So that was a barrier. I anticipate as you know we get on and on, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, moving forward with this pandemic, we will get to a point where our students can go to different, you know, areas in the hospital and and be more involved. But they were very um you know, careful with the students coming over at this point with what we could do. So that was a barrier. Um, I, I would say those were really all. I mean, I think it's just for us, it's going to take time to develop. Um, but to me, I guess maybe it's my personality. I kind of view it as just a, an, an open book of infinite possibility. You know, I'm not afraid by the barriers. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, yeah. you know, that's, that's a lot of 
what we like to see in healthcare leadership, right? Is, is people who are, are not afraid to just go for it and try things. And, you know, I think that's how we push the needle forward on a lot of this stuff. You know, you've got to have people that are just like, hey, I think this is going to be awesome. I'm going to try it. Doesn't work. Sorry, but <laughs> this yeah. is just how I think it, it, it'll work, you know? So, I, you know, one of the things I'd like to kind of talk about is, is your vision for the future. It's like, where, what do you see this, uh, you know, going towards and moving towards, not, not just at Duquesne, but like other possibilities, you know, is this something that you think could catch on? Are there partners that could be worked with? What, what do you see as the big vision here? What do you see the direction for this, this project? So after this experience and seeing how it changed our students, um, I, I believe so much in it that I want to see it grow. And so, you know, for Duquesne University specifically, we have another university in Dublin. So why can't we offer more opportunities for our students so they can go and, you know, we have, we take students to Australia um, for our athletic training. So, you know, there's possibilities that way. And then I think combining with other, other universities, we have a, we have a system. So why couldn't we offer this to other students, you know, so that we have this already in place, you know, work it with their clinical education and provide these opportunities for more students so that we get an understanding. We also have, you know, we work and collaborate with China. So why couldn't we get that understanding of that medicine, you know, and, and bring it forward? Um, so I think partnering with other universities and I think setting an example and showing how this is affecting our students positively and encouraging other universities to, to take this risk, <laughs> take your students out there, see how it goes. Because from my, like what I witnessed, these students they just, they changed and grew, grew in such a way that I don't think we could have duplicated it in the States in a traditional clinical setting. Yeah. Do you have any sort of uh, case studies or posters or anything coming up as far as a presentation on this? So it's funny you mentioned that that's on my radar because right. I would really like, I yeah. would really like to, now that we've, we've done our initial footprint, that's of course what I would like to do is, is start doing some, take some parameters and get some studies out there so that we're showing like, really, we get some metrics of what are the changes that we're observing in our students? How is this positively influencing? I know there are papers out there in nursing because I, I, when I first started thinking thinking about this program um, with the head of our department, I looked at what was out there. So nursing's been doing this for a while. So there's some papers out there about the international clinical education opportunities for their students. So I think for physical therapy, this is, an, this is a new kind of realm. And I think that I would like to, to do some studies with that. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, one of the things that we've kind of talked about over the last couple months is how, you know, healthcare leadership was a little bit exposed, I think, during the pandemic, you know, and I, I, I'm not trying to point fingers or, or bring us down at all here, but like there were definitely some opportunities that we could have done better. And I think possibly working internationally with other countries, with other healthcare providers and, you know, really sharing information and doing everything we could to immerse ourselves in the different situations, um, you know, could, could have been beneficial, I think. So again, I think ju just that, that, thought of, of going international and seeing the differences and seeing what's out there and what healthcare providers are doing, you know, in different countries could be huge. But also, you know, I'm a true believer that, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. So like, why wouldn't other universities partner and, and, and join up to do something like this? Like, it's going to be beneficial to all, of them. you know, it's a win-win yeah. situation. So 
I feel like a little bit of it, we kind of have to put our egos aside and our, you know, that, that thought process of, Oh, our, our, our system's the best and we're going to stick it out and, and do our thing. And, and only our thing. Well, it's like, well, why not a little more collaboration, right? Let's, let's mm-hmm. work together here and let's see if we can't build a network or a partnership so that more people have this experience. Cause even just traveling internationally is a cool experience just, just yes. to start there. Then to get healthcare education, you know, through that experience, now you're just, you know, it's a win-win all around, I think. Yes. Yeah. And our ultimate vision is even doing kind of a collaborative, um, you know, international conference or convention for our students when they're there, you know, and get and get some clinicians in Australia, you know, Ireland, you know, Italy, you know, Canada, you know, everywhere. And then, you know, why not partner up with with these different countries and then just get their insight and, you know, inspire our students and, and learn from, you know, the little nuances that are different from country to country in their, in their care of patients. And basically, like you said, admit, you know, yes, we, we have, we are doing wonderfully in in the States, but there's always, as we, as we know, clinicians of ourselves, we can always improve. Right. So as, as for our education, there's always areas for improvement. And so I think just learning from other countries, what are they doing over there is wonderful for our students. Yeah. Well, Jessica, What's some advice you would give or what, what, what's some key themes and takeaways you've learned through this that you could share with our audience if they're students that are looking to get involved in international study uh, clinically or uh, even if it's other universities or professors looking to start this, how, what kind of guidance would you give them to get started and maybe you know, talk about getting something like this off the ground? Well, so for students, I would say, you know, you talk, talk to your, you know, uh, direct, your director of clinical education, assistant director, you know, um, embrace the subject, say you heard this podcast, you know, Duquesne University is doing it. Um, Say, could we start something like that? So I think just bringing that idea and that conversation starter. And then for other universities, I would say, first of all, look at, are there any programs that are already in existence, right? Because, you know, we offer international programs, typically universities. What do they already have established? Could you somehow get creative and combine like we did, you know? So you're not entirely reinventing the wheel. If not, could you, you know, even reach out to Duquesne University and could we partner up? Like we would be happy. And so I don't see any reason why we can't. We already have the, we have literally have the infrastructure. You know, we have a place for our students. We have, it's already established. So, and so I think those would be like initial stepping stones that would, that would help. Um, and just, you know, of course, you know how it is in academia. You have to like get the approval, not only with CAPD, but you got to get the approval of the dean and moving up, you know, make sure everybody's on board. But, you know, we, we were really surprised, but also just not surprised at the same time at how our, how our university embraced it, because it really, it really is a wonderful opportunity, you know, for, for our students. And it just, so I think that would be my advice is see if you already have infrastructure in place, you know, not reinventing the wheel. And if not reach out to universities that are doing this already and see if there's some way to partner at least for a little while to get that program going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jessica, I can't thank you enough for your time and experience and coming on here to talk about a really cool experience in clinical education. Um, (laughs) We ask all of our guests one final question. That question is, if you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change? How would you change it? And why would you change it? It's such a, that's such a loaded question. It is. That's, that's why we ask it. <laughs> I know. 
Uh, so, you know, thinking about that, I think one of the, one of the, one of the struggles I think we have is, you know, and I, I didn't realize this until I started teaching was the pressure of, of course, you want your students to pass the boards, right? But you also want the students to understand the current research and the boards, there's, there's like kind of like there's that time frame. Yeah. And it's hard when you teach because are you teaching things that, you know, are really making a difference right now? How do you balance the two? Um, so that's, I don't know exactly how to fix that. It, as a professor, I try to blend the two, you know. Um, but I think what I really want for students, and I try, but I think that in a traditional university setting, it's difficult. I think more opportunities for students to not be afraid to be wrong and to actually think and to have a, an environment where they're not so worried about passing a class and getting a good grade and just memorizing the material, but an opportunity to think critically, have a collaborative experience, more like grand rounds where you're working with patients and you're just not afraid. I think, I think we need more opportunities to do that so that when we get in the real world, we are experienced and it's not as hard. You know, it's, it's, it's taking it. So if I could change that in our traditional setting, I would say more time and opportunities to have that clinical reasoning where you're, you can just embrace conversation and, and realize it's okay to fail. You know, hey, think outside of the box. It doesn't have to be this, this cookie cutter type way of, of treating patients or thinking or just spitting out what's in your textbook. Um, and having students understand that as physical therapists, we really are artists and there's that creativity. So you need to elaborate and let that opportunity fly. So that's what I would say. I, I think I think there's so much pressure to pass the boards and hit these marks that sometimes we lose we lose track of allowing that creativity and critical thinking integrated into the education. So that that's what I would say. Yeah, and I think, you know, realistically, we need to start critical thinking at a much, much younger age. I mean, I wasn't a great critical thinker, I don't think, until I got into a graduate program, if not beyond. Uh, I, I know I wasn't a good learner until I got into an EDD program, and then I realized that, oh, rote memorization is not actually learning. <laughs> so, so it's a shame that it took me that long to figure it out, right, and piece it all together, because I was an English major before a physical therapist, so it oh, wasn't wow. natural for me to, to transition that way in my thinking, you know. But that being said, you know, we do talk a lot on this show about the, the, the chasm between academia and clinical and how, you know, evidence-based practice and best practice can lag behind a little bit, a lot of times due to the NPTE type stuff that we're having to teach. So, you know, it, it, it is a tough battle. I think, you know, a lot of good people are doing a lot of good work with trying to get research out into the hands of clinicians quicker and, and earlier. And I think we're, we're getting a little bit better at that. We still got some work to do, but yeah, it's not easy. It's the, there's not the, and, and that's the, the best part about this show is that we don't always have the answers. So we bring the experts on to talk about what they think the answers are, you know, and that's uh, one of the benefits of, of having many, many great guests with, with great experience and, and you know, the, the clinical knowledge and the academic knowledge and uh, experiences like you've had. So thank you so much again for your time and for coming on the episode. Where can people reach out to you if they want to find out more about this or just follow up with you and ask questions or see what you're up to these days? 
Oh, you know, they can feel free to email me if they want. Um, DavisJ10 at duq.edu. So DavisJ10 at duq.edu. They can feel free to email me. Um, You can follow me on Instagram. Uh, So I'm I'm out there. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll we'll put your links in the show notes so it's easy for everybody to find you. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.